Well, the race will soon be complete, but I want as many people to follow Jesus as we can. And so until we, till that race is complete, that we would run the race that is set before us, but that we would be longing to tell others about Jesus Christ before it's too late. Um, today I'd like to speak from Matthew 9, verses 35 to 38, seeing this world through the eyes of Jesus. I would ask you to stand once again in respect for God's word as, we, as I read these few verses. And Jesus was going about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. And then Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send more, send out workers into his harvest. Heavenly Father, we ask today, Lord, as we consider these verses, that you would challenge us, that you would convict us, and that you would encourage us as well. Lord Jesus, help us to see this world the way you see it. And Lord, help us to be concerned for the lost that are all around us every day. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It was often referred to as the unsinkable ship. In the early 20th century, the RMS Titanic was a crowning achievement of human technology. There may never have been one vessel that carried more of the world's wealthiest and most powerful people at one time. And yet all of that wealth and power were rendered meaningless in a moment by six small gashes in the hull of the Titanic after hitting an iceberg. More than 1,500 people died that night, For the 700 survivors, the image of that horrific April night in the North Atlantic Ocean are unforgettable. I don't know if you've read the book by Walter Lord in his book called A Night to Remember. It tells what happened after the Titanic sank below the surface of the ocean. Survivors recall what took place on that fatal night. There were only 20 lifeboats aboard the Titanic, about half of what was required to fully evacuate the ship. But why should you need them if it's an unsinkable ship? Now, when the lifeboats were lowered down, what we don't always understand is that the lifeboats were only half full. Many passengers were able to find a life jacket, but were unable to find a lifeboat. And so many of the people jumped or fell into the ocean, left floating in that frigid waters, crying into the night for someone to help them. Again, there was room in the lifeboats for hundreds of people. And that is why their fate is perhaps the most shocking human tragedy of that heart-rending night when 1,500 people perished. Though those in the water continued to cry out for someone to rescue them, the people in the lifeboats just kept rowing away. 
they thought rescue was too difficult or too too much. They were afraid. And so out of those 20 lifeboats, only one lifeboat finally turned back in time to save only six passengers. Three days later, when the funeral ships arrived from Nova Scotia, they were greeted by a ghostly sight. 328 men, women, and children with their life jackets on were floating in the water, frozen to death. And why did they die? Not because the Titanic sank, but because the people were, who were already saved would not go back for the people who were not. That image, when I read that, challenges me and convicts my soul. Could this be a spiritual picture of me? Could it be a spiritual picture of the church today? People who are already saved by God's grace, doing nothing about those who are perishing all around us. You know, by God's grace, if you're a believer here today, by God's grace, we're in the, we call it in the Jesus lifeboat. We're saved, we're forgiven, we're given the assurance of eternal life. But all around us, where we work, where we live, where we go to school. There are people who will end up in hell someday unless someone seeks to rescue them. Unless someone would be willing to share Jesus Christ with them. Some of them are people you know. People you love. People within your reach. And I truly believe that if you are a Christian here today, I believe that God has placed you close to those who are spiritually lost so that they might bring, that you might bring the life-changing message of Jesus to them. Will you be that lifeboat that turns around and goes to those who are perishing? Will you take the risk to give those who are perishing a chance to live to know Jesus Christ and to live forever in heaven. <clears throat> Ron Hutchcraft, <clears throat> in one of his books, says this. <clears throat> Tragically, too many Christians are content to just enjoy their own safe place in Jesus' lifeboat. We fellowship with our lifeboat comrades. We sing our lifeboat songs. We even work on ways to make our lifeboats bigger and more comfortable. And meanwhile, people we see day after day are perishing with no understanding that God's one and only Son, Jesus Christ, died so that they don't have to, that they could be saved. And for the believer, I believe there's nothing more important, nothing more urgent, nothing more significant to do than to try to get people that we know to come to learn about a Savior who loves them. That they would come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ before they slip away forever. Troy, Troy, who was a believer in Christ, tells about his best friend who had died instantly in an automobile accident. Troy said this, quote, 
What I can't get over is that I never told my best friend about Jesus. Troy was struggling with the eternal consequences of his silence, of where his friend might now be forever. Troy's burden was great. How many times have you and I been at a funeral? Maybe a neighbor, someone we know that has passed away, and have you ever sat there wondering, does he or she, did did they know Jesus? Did I ever take the time to share Jesus with that person? And now it's too late. The time to be thinking about that is right now while they're living, while there's still time. (laughs) Not after they're passed away. It's too late. Last summer I I took uh, a bunch of youth and adults to the Creation Museum to the Ark Encounter in Kentucky. If you haven't been there, you should go. It's a great place. And I went to a movie where they handed you 3D glasses. I never never put on 3D glasses before. But I tell you that when you put those glasses on, the things you saw on the screen simply jumped out at you. They leaped at you. And I saw things that I could never see without those glasses. I think we need Jesus' eyes. I think we need to have the eyes of Jesus, what he sees. Acts 1.8, it says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. You see, Jesus summons every believer I believe, to be a spiritual rescuer, to be his witness. And witness literally means to be a martyr, to be willing to give your life for others that they might be saved. We need the eyes of Jesus so that we can see the eternalness of our family, our co-workers, our fellow students, your neighbors, your, your friends, You see, that night when the Titanic survivors were floating in that frigid ocean, anyone could see those people or they could hear those people that they would die if someone would not rescue them. But let's be honest today. The dyingness of the people that you know is not nearly so evident. I mean, honestly, they often don't look like they're perishing. They might be very decent people, They might be very religious people. They might be successful people. They might be likable people who seem to have it all together. If all we can see is what our earth eyes reveal, you will not feel much urgency to tell them about Jesus or to take the risk of rescue. Jesus sees the people in your world as they really are. Matthew 9.36, it says, And seeing the multitudes, Jesus felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus was moved with compassion. And the Greek word here that's used for compassion is really the word for entrails, 
When Jesus saw the people of his day, something happened way down deep inside his soul. He saw people that were like sheep without a shepherd. He saw lost sheep. He saw sheep that were doomed to perish. And so Jesus, in his love and mercy, gave his life on the cross to rescue them and to rescue you and me. His compassion moved him to action. And I believe that believers today need a Jesus heart. We need to have a heart of passion and a compassionate heart for the people that are living all around us. I believe that kind of heart can only come from God himself. As we look at what God says about our world and about those who do not have a personal relationship with Jesus, I want to read some verses here, and I want you all to think about someone who is lost. I mean, I have family members that are lost. And so today I want you to think about maybe a family member that is lost, maybe a neighbor, maybe a, a co-worker, maybe someone right in church that you're pretty sure is not saved. I want you to just think about that person right now. I want you to close your eyes with me. And as you think about that person, think of one person who is lost. And I'm going to read some verses that describe their condition. Do you have that person in mind? Do you have that person in your, you picture that person in your mind? Proverbs 24, 11 those being led away to death, those staggering towards slaughter. Isaiah 5.2, separated from your God. Matthew 4.16, people living in darkness. Luke 19.10, lost. John 3.18, condemned already. John 3.36, whoever rejects the Son will not see life. God's wrath remains on him. First Corinthians one eighteen, <clears throat> those who are perishing, Ephesians two twelve, without hope and without God in the world, Second Thessalonians one nine, they will be punished with everlasting destruction, and shut out from the presence of the Lord, and Revelation twenty verse fifteen, thrown into the lake of fire. These words of Scripture describe the people you know, people who do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, people whose sins have not been forgiven, people who are trusting in anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ, that describes them. And when Jesus looks at people in the grocery store, at students in school, at people in church, or people in your neighborhood, what does Jesus see? He sees either saved or unsaved people. He sees either children of God or, as he said in 1 John, children of the devil. That's what he sees. What do we see? John 4.35, Jesus said, Lift up your eyes. Look onto the fields that they are white unto harvest. I I think sometimes we become so... um, complacent as Christians and so involved in our own little world that sometimes I think we just need to do what Jesus says here. We need to lift up our eyes. 
And we need to look onto those fields that are white unto harvest. People who are perishing. People who need Jesus. And how can I as a believer have a Jesus heart? Well, pray. Pray that God will give you a Jesus heart. Pray that God will break your heart. Pray that God will give you a burden for the lost. Pray that God will lay some soul upon your heart and win that soul through you. Remember, as a believer, we have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the power of God's Word. The Holy Spirit always works through the Word of God. And it's only God who can say, but He wants to use His people to tell others about Jesus Christ, to take the risk of telling others before it's too late. When I went to school, in McIntosh, Minnesota, up north, northern Minnesota, <clears throat> in my high school, we had what we called a class bully. I don't know if you ever had a class bully in your school. But in my class, we had one. His name was Bob Fritz. I don't know if you've ever met Bob Fritz, but he was one of my classmates, and he was a mean one. <laughs> he would always be looking to pick fights. And he would go up to guys in our class and he would, and he was strong, and he would just wail back and just hit you as hard as he could in your shoulder. He wanted to get a reaction to you, and some would hit him back. And he did once to me. He did it, and I hit him back as hard as I could, but it didn't seem to face him. I wasn't as strong as he was. But the next time he did that, I just ignored it and walked away. Yes. It was no fun anymore for him because he wanted a reaction. But Bob Fritz was one also who, in his teen years, liked to drink and party. I wanted nothing to do with Bob Fritz. Um, as far as I could, and by the way, in school, I was not a Christian. I was not saved in high school. So even as an unsaved young boy, I wanted nothing to do with this guy, Bob Fritz. He had very few friends. And if he had any friends, they probably were his friends only because they bought him candy and pop just so that they wouldn't get beat up. Well, I graduated, and about a year later I became saved. And I went on to attend our Bible college here in Minneapolis, and I'd forgotten all about Bob Fritz. I, I didn't want to remember him <laughs> But even as a young Christian, I had forgotten about Bob Fritz. But you know what? God had not forgotten about him. And so over the years that I, in which I had gotten into the ministry, Bob Fritz had gotten married, and he had a couple, I think at least two girls. And his wife began to attend the Free Lutheran Church in McIntosh. And through the years, his wife becomes saved. And that did not make Bob very happy because Bob wanted nothing to do with the church. He was very rebellious against God. And his wife began to pray for him and his wife began to share the Lord with him. And she asked the pastor, who was, by the way, Pastor Tom Tura at the time, and Pastor Todd, uh, Tom uh, began to share the word with Bob. And Bob didn't want that either. He, you know... He asked if his wife asked if Bob could ride with, uh, or his, Tom could ride with Bob on, in his in his truck, 
And Bob said, no, not really, but Pastor Tom wrote anyway <laughs> one day with him. And, and so he had a chance to share the word. So every time people were planting the seed of God's word. The time went on. Now, I, I knew nothing about this, by the way, when I was in the ministry until I was serving the church in Stanley, North Dakota, and I was receiving my home newspaper called the Mackinac Times, and I read one day on this editorial about a man who was driving truck. And this man was driving across the states, and he was sharing Jesus with other people. And, of course, that got my attention. I thought, this is wonderful. This is great. And at the bottom of the editorial, it said, B. Fritz. <laughs> I thought, B. Fritz? Now, who in the world is that? And then about two weeks later, there was another editorial in my home newspaper about, um, about this truck driver who had gotten stuck in a blizzard, and, and there was a young couple in a car that was also stranded, and they had run out of gas. It was so bitterly cold, and Bob Fritz, who was a total stranger, had went down and knocked on their window and asked if they would like to come into his truck. He had a sleeper. Well, if you know Bob, he was kind of always kind of rough-looking, and they were really hesitant. They said, no, we'll be fine here. Well, it wasn't long before they took him up on the offer. They went into his truck, and, and that night as they spent that night in the truck, this truck driver shared Jesus with this couple. At the end of the editorial, it said, be Fritz. <laughs> Finally, I had to call home. I said, Mom, I, I've read these two editorials. This B. Fritz, who is it? And, he, and my mom said, that's Bob. <laughs> I said, you got to be kidding. I had to ask because Bob had brothers. Bill, Bruce, Bob, Brent, and John. <laughs> I didn't know which, which B it was. But when she said it's Bob, I, I was just taken back. And I was thanking God. Last summer, I attended an all-school reunion in McIntosh. And on Sunday, there was an all-school reunion worship service. And only two of my classmates showed up for that worship service. One was Naomi Thompson, and the other was, guess who? Bob Ritz. And we spent a lot of time just talking about the Lord I never would have guessed that Bob would be saved. I had written him off. As someone who was unsavable. <laughs> and so I asked Bob, I said, So Bob, how did you come to know the Lord? Well, he told me about his wife, told me about Pastor Tom Tura, and then he said, what really changed my life was the witness of a town drunk. <laughs> when I was growing up, there was a, a town drunk named Robert Vaughn, and I remember making fun of Robert Vaughn. 
It was not uncommon to see Robert Vaugh in the alley behind the bar, stone drunk. That's where he laid all night. That was not uncommon. I grew up in a town of about 800 people. And so Robert Vaugh lived in a small little shack behind my grandparents' home. I don't think he even had electricity because he used most of his money for drinking. And I remember... I asked Bob Fritz, because Bob said that God used this town drunk was really the turning point in his life. You see, when I had gone off to Bible college and gone off to college and, and then on to seminary, Bob Fritz, who loved to drink, he also became a drinking partner with Robert Vaugh. They would spend time in the bars. They would spend time drinking and getting drunk. And I asked Bob Fritz, well, how did the town drunk, Robert Vaugh, how did he become saved? And he said, well, Robert Vaugh would mow lawns. And I knew that because I mowed lawns. And I, usually right next door, was here was Robert Vaugh mowing lawns. And that's how he made his, made his money. He made enough money to buy gas for to mow another lawn, but he'd use the rest of the money to buy booze but he'd also have to buy some food. And so Robert Vaugh would buy a can of soup. And he would then go to a couple widow ladies. One of them was named May Road. May Road was a widow, but she loved Jesus. She was a part of the Free Lutheran Church in McIntosh. And so Robert Vaugh would take that can of soup and he would knock at the door. And May Road would open the door and Robert would say, May, could you make this soup for me? I I don't think he had electricity in his home. He couldn't make it himself. And so May Road said, yes, come on in, Robert. Now, some of you might say, that's pretty risky. Well, in a small town, you know everybody. And she invited him in. She said, Robert, sit at the table here and I'll make the soup. And all the while she made the soup, she talked about Jesus. She told them about the Word of God. And Robert Vaugh listened. And that happened time and time again that May Road would share with this town drunk about Jesus Christ and what Jesus could do in his life. And over time, Robert Vaugh came to commit his life to Jesus Christ. (laughs) You know what happened? He quit drinking. He didn't want that anymore. He didn't go to the bars anymore. His life had been transformed. This guy who I thought would never be changed, but through the witness of a widow lady talking about Jesus while she made soup for him, his life was changed. About that time, Bob Fritz's wife told Bob, she said, if something doesn't change in your life, The girls and I are leaving. We can't put up with this anymore. Well, Bob didn't want to lose his family, so he became really concerned. He didn't know what to do. And about that time, he saw Robert Vaugh. And he said, Robert Vaugh, he said, I I don't see you in the bars anymore. You don't drink anymore. What's gone into you? Why don't you come right now? Let's go to the bar. And Robert Vaugh the alcohol had done its damage, but Robert Voss said this. He said, no, 
I'm not going to go there anymore. Well, why not? And Robert Voss said, Jesus has saved me. That's all he said. Jesus has saved me. And Bob Fritz thought, if Jesus can save the town drunk, maybe he can save me too. And it was shortly after that that Jesus saved Bob. He committed his life to Jesus Christ and he began to share Jesus as he trucked across the states because he wanted others to know about his Savior. So God used a widow lady making soup and sharing Jesus. God used a converted town drunk who shared Jesus with Bob Fritz, the class bully. And that day at the class school reunion at that worship service, guess who Bob was sharing with? Naomi Thompson. He wanted to know if Naomi knew Jesus. Bob has a heart for Jesus. Bob has a Jesus heart, a heart of compassion. Today he is active in the Free Lutheran Church in Faustin. He has been a counselor. He's 67. He's still a counselor at the teen Bible camps up in Bemidji. Why? Because he doesn't want teenagers to go down the road. He went. He wants them to know about Jesus and what Jesus can do in their life. Jesus is summoning his children to join him in the rescue mission for which he died. May we no longer be content just to be saved ourselves, but let us, but may we see this world the way Jesus sees it, people who need the Lord. I don't want to be the lifeboat that rose away from those who are dying. I want to be the lifeboat that goes to those who are perishing to take the risk, for it is a life or death matter. I hope that's you too today, if you know the Lord. That you'll take the time to take the risk to tell others about Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, it is easy for Christians to become complacent, to be just content the way we are, Thankful, yes, that we are saved, but yet unconcerned about those who are unsaved. And Lord, I believe that you have saved us so that we might tell others about Jesus Christ. So Lord, I ask today that you would break our hearts. Give us a Jesus heart. Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me. And may I always do my part to win that soul for thee. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.